Sprecher Campus, good morning, how are you? How, how, how are you are? Wow. Uh, it's been a long weekend preparing for this message. Uh, that was great. Let's start over. How are you? Good. Well, uh, my name is Ryan, um, and I'm struggling up here. No, um, it's, it's great to be here. Uh, I am on the teaching team here at Door Creek Church. I serve at the DeForest campus during the week. Uh, it's really good to be here with you. If you're a guest, if you're new here, we're really glad uh, that you're here. You're jumping on, on board with us at an exciting time. For the whole month of August, we're going to keep showing uh, what God is doing in us and through us through different ministries, children's ministry, student ministry, uh, and more, culminating in this uh, Serve Day event at the end of August. So if you don't know what that is, check it out in your bulletin, uh, read about it online. It's a great way uh, to jump on board and make a difference. Uh, and of course, through our giving and through our, our partnership uh, and generosity that we're all in this together, and God's called us to something bigger than anything that we could do on our own. It's a, it's a privilege uh, to be here together. Uh, we're, we're, we've been in this series called Big Mistake, Lesson Learned, uh, and today we're continuing with this kind of difficult topic. It's uh, lust and, and pornography. Uh, so as Sam said earlier, if you were here, if you're not here, just a heads up, uh, this might be a sensitive uh, topic for you. We're not gonna get like gory or anything, but um, there, there might be, you know, I don't know uh, where you are. Maybe you're with someone who has young ears uh, and just wanna invite you to hang out in our lobby or, or uh, be in our, our children's ministry. But uh, it's an important topic, so let's, let's dive into this uh, together, okay? So we live in this uh, cultural moment that, that in a lot of ways is unlike anything that we've ever seen before. Uh, and it's a combination of some really rapid and really deep changes that have happened in our culture uh, over the last few decades. So the first change um, is in your pocket, probably. You're sitting on the chair next to you. It's this little TV that you carry around with you all the time, right? It's this, uh, this ubiquity of technology and the internet and, and mobile devices and, and screens everywhere. And so what that means is we can consume pretty much any media we can imagine 24 hours a day, no matter where we are, no matter how old you are or young you are. This is a new thing uh, in, in terms of us as a species, right? There's another shift that's been happening for us in the West, particularly in the US, where we've had some deep um, shifts in our ideologies that shape our values and our morals uh, in our culture around the area of sexuality, right? And, it, and what, what those two things have overlapped and created uh, is an epidemic, really an epidemic of pornography use uh, in, in our nation uh, and in our culture. And it all comes from this very libertine idea and the idea is this, and it's a new idea in terms of uh, like human history, it's a new idea and the idea is that uh, what you do in the privacy of your own imagination and in your own bedroom is okay as long as it makes you happy and as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. Like that's kind of, that's the new moral. And if you say anything against that, well, you're, you're the one who is actually repressive and, and regressive. This is the value, is that, that you can be free now to explore sexuality in whatever way you choose. But I just wanna pose the question humbly and gently this morning, are we really free? Like, are we really free? Because as a pastor, when I talk with people, 
what I encounter is not the, the happiness and the flourishing that you would expect from a free society. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm talking with people inside the church or outside the church, typically what I come across is shame, pain, abuse, betrayal, right? Uh, this normalization of sexual harassment, right? And the demonization of those who do it. Like it is no coincidence that in September 2017, Hugh Hefner died and our culture celebrated this man who normalized pornography and within 30 days, Harvey Weinstein was called out for sexual harassment and sparked this raging fire that we call the Me Too movement. Like that is not a coincidence. You follow me? Are we really free? And, and we're, we're about a generation deep now into what we're calling the sexual revolution. And, and we have this whole generation of digital natives who have grown up with the, their primary sex education coming from porn. That's really scary. Because what that means is that what they see on their screens, that that, that is normal sexuality. It's not normal sexuality. Like it's, is it, is it normal to inflict pain on someone else? Is it normal to proceed with what you, know, you want without consent and, and, and all of that? Is it normal that we're separating sexuality from emotions, relationship, commitment, and even love? We're in a, we're in a cultural moment unlike any time, and it used to be the question, the question used to be, who's been hurt by this? And that's not the question anymore. In 2019, the question is, who hasn't been hurt by this? Who hasn't been burned by this so-called freedom? And maybe the, the, the new questions being asked, even by people outside of the church, totally apart from religious ideologies, maybe what we thought would free us is actually enslaving us. I think it's a good question. And, and the, the church, the, the church is the only group that's, that's saying that, that it's trying to treat, treating the problem beyond just the symptom because uh, this, the problem is, is not pornography. Like that is a problem, but that's not the root of the problem. The problem, according to God's story of human sexuality, is the default inclination of the human heart toward lust. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So at its heart, what we're going to say today is that lust is slavery. Lust is slavery. And that's just a, a short way of saying that's what, it, that's what it takes and that's what it leads to, slavery. What lust does is it takes something good, something that God designed for good, sexuality, and what he designed to make beautiful in the safe, committed context of a covenant relationship, a covenant partnership between a man and a woman, and it, it turns it into something ugly. And that's what Satan does. Like, you know that, that Satan doesn't create anything? All he can do is take what God meant for good and twist it into something uh, terrible and evil. And so there's this weird dynamic that, that's, that we, we have. So publicly, I can sit here or stand here and say, uh, I find absolutely no value in pornography. I, I, f I think it's devastating our culture and, and whatever. I'm taking a stand on that and people can disagree with me or whatever. I, I'm saying that 
uh, as clearly as I can, but at the same time, there's a battle in my own heart. And if you're honest, there's a battle in your heart. Because lust is not something that's out there, it's something that's in here. It's idolatry at his heart. And so the solution can't just be stop or don't do that. It has to be something else. It has to be an inward transformation. So what we're saying today, and I'm just kind of giving you, you know, this, the, the Reader's Digest version. You can leave if you want after this. Lust is slavery, but self-control leads to freedom. And there's a kind of self-control that doesn't, it's not motivated by shame, because that's not the goal. That's not Christ, but it's, it's motivated by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who actually can change what we desire. Like that's the promise of scripture. That's what we'll be looking at uh, today. So um, it all starts with this idea of, of what human beings are. Like you, we have to be on the same page as this. And, and the biblical idea of what a human being is, is that we are made in God's, uh, in God's image. That we are not, as the world would tell us, we're not just wet machines. We're not just soulless animals. That we're actually, as, as uh, we read in page one of the Bible, we're made from dirt, so we're physical, but we're, we've been uh, endowed with the, the divine breath of God, that he breathed life and into humanity and, and humans became a living spirit, a living nefesh, dirt and divine breath, that in humans there's an innate dignity and value and beauty and majesty, and that, that's because we reflect the glory of God. When we, when we say that we're made in the image of God, that's, that's a biblical idea, it comes from Genesis chapter one, uh, the, the word image is this Hebrew word selim, and it literally means statue. And the idea is this, that when in, if you were around in ancient times and you kind of like walked into a, a king's domain and you saw a selim of that king, what it meant is that you were in the place where that king's personality and values and reign was, that was the rule of, of that place. And according to the Ten Commandments, was Israel supposed to make a selim of God? No. God commanded them to not make any image uh, or, or any idol in his image. But does God make a selim of himself? Yeah, he does. And there's a room full of us right here. And the idea is that we are made to, to reflect back to God and to each other the goodness, the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God. But how's that working out for us? Not so great, right? Because what happens, and page three of the Bible tells us that the Selim rejected the one that they were born, designed to reflect. And so you have this downward spiral that happens all through the book of Genesis. And then God selects Abraham and his family and says, okay, I'm gonna set you apart as, as a blessed family, as a blessed people, and I want you to finally be this family, the Israelites, who are gonna reflect my personality and my values and draw the nations to me. But they don't do so great at that. And then we have Joseph. Joseph shows up on the scene. Now, an interesting thing about Joseph is he's the only one in all of the Old Testament that uh, of him it is said that um, 
the Holy Spirit was, was with him. That's in Genesis 41. There's something unique about Joseph, and that's who we're gonna look at today, uh, opening up to Genesis 39. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Genesis 39, if you don't know your way around a Bible, Genesis means in the beginning, which is a hint. It's in the beginning. It's literally the first book of the Bible. Look for the big black number 39, and that's where we're going to uh, jump in. Um, okay. So we're brought to this chapter wondering, is there anyone who's going to actually reflect God's, uh, God's image and his goodness and his blessing to draw people to himself? And we come to this story. Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. That's a key phrase. Keep it in your mind. The Lord was with him, and uh, I'm sorry, whoop, I missed that. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So this is like the, the intern who gets put in charge of the penthouse, Okay. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from that time, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of Egypt because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar did, both in the house and the field. So this actually starts to look like uh, the revealing of the promise that, that God had in his mind for Abraham, that he would bless Abraham and his family so that they could be a blessing. So God is blessing Joseph and that blessing is overflowing into Potiphar's uh, household and everything that he's doing. And in verse six, we read that uh, Potiphar, um, he didn't concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So basically what happened is he took the keys to his house and he gave them to Joseph. And he said, see you later, I'm out. God's blessing you, you run the show. I'm gonna go enjoy myself and, and eat food or what, whatever that meant, okay? And this is God's vision for changing the world through us. Like you and I, we were meant to be a blessing to the people around us. Like God has blessed us and graced us and drawn us to himself, not so we could hoard that blessing, but so we could turn around and bless others with it. And here's what that means. It means that we're reflecting God's character. That's the idea. That vision of God has not changed. And so the implications are really, really huge when it comes to our sexuality. What it means is that every thought, Every word, every action, every internet search is a vote for God's vision of the world or the world's vision of the world. There's a lot that God has put on us in terms of responsibility. So we wanna look at how can we reverse the tragedy, the slavery of lust. But first we're gonna look into this uh, text and see what we can discern about how lust leads to slavery. So there's just three things I wanna point out here. Uh, first, in verse six, let's, let's check this out. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, so this is Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. She wasn't looking to have a nap, okay? Um, 
this phrase, well-built and handsome. In, in Hebrew, it literally means fair of form and fair of face. Uh, it's, it basically means he was ripped and he was hot, right? <laughs> There's only one other place in the Hebrew Bible where this phrase uh, is in its totality and it was uh, describing his mother, Rachel. So you kind of get this idea that he's got, like that he kind of lucked out in the gene pool, right? They're, they were that family that when you were walking out and about and you saw them, you know, you're like, they look photoshopped, you know? Perfect hair, perfect teeth, always tan, even though it's like February, you know, they had this blessing uh, going on. So what, what happened in, in Potiphar's wife's mind? She took notice of him. We're going to come back to that phrase later. What should she have done? When she saw this athletic, talented, successful, resilient, good-looking, God-honoring young man, what should she have done? Praise God, right? Because when we see people as human beings, as image bearers of God, seeing them, no matter what they look like, no matter uh, what their life looks like, it's supposed to make us think about and worship and glorify the God who made them. But what she does, the big mistake she makes is she twists it and she makes his attractiveness as a human being about herself. And that's the big mistake that we make. So this phrase uh, took notice uh, so it, it's not like, you know, looking at a painting and taking notice of the technique of the, the painter. That's, that's not what's going on. It's actually kind of fun uh, to look at how other uh, versions, English versions, translate this phrase. The NASB says she looked with desire. The New King James Version says she cast longing eyes. The message says she became infatuated the Good News Message Bible says simply that she had desire. So you get the idea of what's going on here, right? She was looking at his attractiveness and making it about something that she was missing in her life. And it's the same thing that we see all throughout Genesis, starting with uh, the, the Garden of Eden, where in Genesis chapter three, Eve saw the fruit of this forbidden tree and she, she saw it and she wanted it. And we see this phrase uh, repeated over and over and over again and we deal with the very same thing. You know, it's this look that believes that you want that, that you need that. Where do you find yourself looking at others wanting that for yourself? You know, a person running by, someone on a screen, someone at school, someone at work, someone on a platform. Like this is the same mistake that we can and do make often. And so let's look at, uh, at what lust is and how it works. So. Lust is when you see someone else, but you think of yourself. You see someone else and think of yourself. And lust plays off our vulnerabilities. Check this out. It plays off our vulnerabilities. So it's not just about desire. There's often a reason for the craving, and we see this in the story. So think about Potiphar's wife for a moment. How is she vulnerable to this this lust, this lustful gaze. Well, she's probably bored, right? Like if you read through Genesis 39, first of all, her name is never given. Uh, her job is never listed. Like what, what's her purpose? Like what's she, what's she passionate about? What's she doing? It doesn't seem like she's doing much. She's just kind of there. She's just kind of looking around for how the world can serve her and she's, she's idle. 
And so her mind isn't on being productive or nurturing her family or even herself. It's, it's, it's on her own desire and satisfaction. And here's the thing, like when we're busy, we're gonna, be encounter, we're gonna encounter lust. We're gonna encounter temptation, right? Uh, no matter what you're doing, you're going through life, temptation is gonna whisper in your ear, but when you're idle, temptation doesn't whisper, it roars. It roars. And so maybe, I don't know, if you're, if you're just dealing with um, boredom, you know, if you're just kind of comfortable generally in your life, idle in your life, and you're dealing with temptation, maybe what you need to do is go out and pick a fight. You know? Find something that bothers God and go take, take up, like find some way to, to reflect his image and be a blessing out in the world and take that up and go, go pick a fight. That's probably the only time you're ever gonna hear a pastor say that. <laughs> so she, she was bored probably, she's probably kind of lonely, right? You get the sense that Potiphar's kind of checked out, you know, probably busy with work. Like he was, uh, he was a captain of the palace guard, which is like, what job is that even? It's like a really cushy job. It's not like, you know, leading soldiers who are actually fighting in battle. It's like leading soldiers who are like eye candy at the palace, right? Uh, so there's probably some vanity happening there and, and he's off doing whatever he's doing and, and Potiphar's wife is just kind of in the house, lonely. He was probably a lot older than her. Uh, it's entirely possible that she wasn't even from around there, like she was kind of imported in like, like Joseph was. And there's a little um, application here for parents and, and spouses. Like leadership in the home means that we, we don't check out. It means that, that we are engaged and we're watchful for the, for the emotional vulnerabilities of our spouses and of our kids. Like there are a lot of uh, spouses who are really just oblivious to the emotional needs of their husband or wife. There's a lot of parents who are really kind of oblivious to the emotional needs of their kids. And if you want a home that's safe from lust and pornography, fill your house up. Like, fill it with good stuff, you know? Yeah, read the scriptures together, pray together, you know? There's other stuff too. Fill it with dinner. Like, when's the last time you all sat down and had a meal together? Uh, fill it with dance parties, you know? My kids are getting a little old for that, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> fill it with Uno or whatever, Scrabble, you know? Fill it with good stuff, good fellowship, because often in a vacuum of care, uh, lust and pornography rush in to fill the void. So um, there's an, kind of an illustration I came across about how this can work. So in 1971, there was this Russian uh, space capsule. It was called the Soyuz 11. I don't know if you've heard about this. Uh, it's, it's, so it re-entered the atmosphere after a pretty routine uh, mission in space. It was carrying three Russian astronauts. And after a pretty normal re-entry, they landed in the water and the recovery team went and opened up the hatch and found all three astronauts were dead. And they had like blue patches on their faces and like some dried blood coming out their nose and, and their ears. Like what happened? And after uh, autopsies and, and you know, looking at the capsule, they realized that before they entered uh, the atmosphere, that a ventilation valve had opened up and it exposed that capsule to the, the vacuum of space and these astronauts were dead within 20 seconds. 
we need to watch out for vulnerabilities in others around us and in ourselves because vulnerabilities create vacuums. And in vacuums, in vulnerabilities, lust and pornography rush in to fill the void because lust and pornography are rarely just about sex. They're rarely just about sex. They play on our vulnerabilities. They look for vacuums in our heart and they fill them. They play on past abuse. They play on harsh words that were spoken to us or about us. They play on boredom that needs a quick thrill. They play on trauma. A lot of people I talk to who are really struggling with this issue, uh, a lot of them have this common theme that they were exposed as, as children to pornography. And it's, it did something in their brain. It made them vulnerable uh, as, as even as they grew older. And lust and pornography, it's, it's this false promise. It fills the, the vulnerability, but it doesn't actually heal them. It, it brings a counter gospel, and it says that we can look to created things to heal us in ways that only the creator can. So are you lonely? You know, are you, are you bored? Are you tired? Have you been hurt or abused, maybe sexually or otherwise? Were you exposed to this stuff at a young age? Like these are all things that can put you at risk. They don't excuse it, but it makes sense, right? And so we have to watch out for that same kind of idolatry and that same kind of vacuum. And here's the thing, Jesus wants to heal our vulnerabilities. That's what he came to do, to heal those things, not just fill them with temporary uh, relief, but actually heal them and strengthen us and tell his story of grace through us. So we looked at how lust leads to sla- uh, lust um, plays off our vulnerabilities. Uh, there's, there's a final thing here, and this is kind of the elephant in the room, and honestly, we probably don't have time for this, but I think it's so important that we're gonna take some time for this, is that lust turns people into slaves. And this is a thing that no one talks about so what are we doing when, when we're indulging in pornography? Like, what's actually happening? And I think the, the message out there in the world is that it's, it's really a victimless crime. It's really something that happens in, in the privacy of your own life. It doesn't affect anyone else. But I want to challenge that. Because as we saw with Potiphar's uh, wife, how did she see Joseph as a fellow human being No, she saw him as a slave. A slave who was there to to meet her needs and and her desires. You know what the, the thing, like the thing that makes slavery evil? It's that, it's that we, slavery eliminates the divine from a person. It treats them like just dirt. It reduces them to a utility that they can perform for you. And the moment we reduce another human being made in God's image to a utility that, we, that they can perform for us, we turn them into a slave. We dehumanize them. And in the moment, maybe you're indulging in pornography, what, what's happening here, and I'm sorry that this is heavy, but this is just real, okay? What's happening here is you don't care about their name. 
You don't care about what it's costing them to entertain you. You don't care about their story. You're just caught up in this fantasy that they want to be there, but they don't. They don't. I've heard a lot of interviews of people who have come out of sex slavery and prostitution and, and pornography. And, and a story I keep hearing over and over is that they were not, they didn't get involved in this because they wanted to or because it was lucrative. They got involved in it because they were coerced by a boyfriend or a pimp or a drug dealer. They were threatened, they were hurt. It's, it's human slavery. Lust and pornography, what it does is it, it leaves a wake of human carnage in its path. And it's a massive industry. It's a massive industry. Conservative estimates put it at about $15 billion a year in the US alone. That's a really conservative number. It's hard to track because of how privatized it is. But do you know what $15 billion is worth? That's worth more than Netflix. It's worth more than the NBA and the NFL. And, and in every industry, there's supply and there's demand. And maybe this helps you. I don't know, next time you're tempted to look at pornography, understand that what you're doing is you're creating a demand. You're creating a demand that has to be met with a supply. And that supply are not nameless, faceless robots. They're human beings that God has made. And, and it's possible that they're being forced to do what they're doing. And, and don't think for a moment that God is just gonna turn a blind eye to those who participate in creating a demand that enslaves his children. I mean, this is dark stuff, right? The, the beauty and the glory of Jesus is that he didn't leave us in this situation where we're just enslaving each other. He actually steps in. And he stepped in, even though he's king of the universe, he stepped in and made himself a slave. He stepped in as light in our darkness so that slaves could be set free and, and slave makers could be redeemed and restored. That's the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of Jesus. So we, we've looked at how lust is slavery. Uh, let's look at how self-control can lead to freedom. So thinking about Joseph again, can we gleam anything? Can we, can we learn a lesson from what he did? So let's look in verse eight. So Potiphar's wife has propositioned him, right? No one's around. He's like, huh? He's 17, 18 years old, right? His hormones are on high alert. But what does he do? It says that he refused. He refused. And this is what self-control looks like. Doesn't mean that he wasn't tempted, of course he was, right? It's self-control. What is self-control? It's, it's an antidote to lust. It's a fruit of the spirit, we're told. It's a sign of a real vibrant life in connection with the spirit. And here's what God knew about Joseph. He knew that in a few years, Joseph, he was gonna go to prison for being falsely accused, uh, and then he's gonna rise up the ranks and be promoted until he was second command of the, the largest empire on earth at the time. He was gonna be ruling Egypt, but God knew that Joseph wasn't gonna be able to rule Egypt until he could rule himself. And there's a lesson here for those of you who are single, for high school students and middle school students, for, for those of you who are dating or engaged, like look, you can't rule Egypt until you can rule yourself. 
And a lot of us think maybe or have this thought that, you know what, when I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let myself go for now because when I'm married, that's gonna, that's gonna take care of my problem, right? But if we don't have sexual integrity right now, why would you think we're gonna have it later? Can't really eat it to you, rule yourself. And so maybe a lot of us hearing this are like, wow, that's great, great, thanks, Ryan, for piling the guilt on because you know what, I've been trying really hard and I keep failing. And self-control is, is more than just willpower. See, the world would have us understand that self-control is really just having willpower in the moment. But how does that, does that really work, you know? Like in my house, we have a couple gluten-free people, uh, so we don't bake a lot, you know? We don't have cookies, cakes, and pies, and so on at our house. But I've realized that when you become a pastor, uh, people bring you their leftovers. <laughs> and they're really delicious. And it doesn't matter how great I think my willpower is when there are no cookies around in the house. When Nancy Petak, our friend at the DeForest campus, brings those monster cookies and they're staring at me in the counter, I realize my willpower is really down the tubes, you know? It's, self-control is more than just willpower. And, and Joseph shows us that. See, self-control is more than just saying no to bad things. It's saying yes to the best things. And maybe that's what's missing in your struggle with sin. You know? It, it's not just willpower. It, it comes from an ecosystem of the mind and of the heart. It comes from a re-hardwiring of your brain and your habits and your emotions. And there are three truths in this text uh, that we're gonna, we're gonna look at. Actually, just two. I think we're skipping one for sake of time. I don't know what I'm doing. Just come along with me. Uh, but let's look, at, um, let's look at Joseph here. This, this shows what's going on in his heart and his mind. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, Potiphar's wife, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So the first thing that we see is that he understands that intimacy is only beautiful in the right place. It's only beautiful in the right place. I think a really good example of this is fire, you know? So how many of us have like fire pits in our backyard or our patio or whatever? It's great, you know? It's like, it's warm, it's delightful, you can sit around and you chat. Well, what happens when fire gets out of its protective place? Disaster happens, you know? And, and, and sexuality is really the same thing. See, uh, the delighted gaze of a lover when it's protected by the safety and commitment of marriage. That's the, that's the way God designed it. The, the world wants us to believe that real sexual freedom uh, can, in, can happen when we express it without any constraints. But God's design of sexuality says it's only truly satisfying when it's within the right, protective, safe constraints of marriage. How many of us have seen sexuality wreak havoc outside when it gets out of bounds. So that's the first thing that he understood. The next thing he understood is that you're not alone. He wasn't alone. 
the Lord was with Joseph. It was this phrase that was on repeat about Joseph in Genesis 39. It meant that God was blessing him, guiding him, protecting him. Remember in uh, Genesis 41, Joseph is the only character in the Old Testament that said that the Holy Spirit was with him. That's something that's been reserved for us uh, in, the, in the new covenant age. But that was something that was specially given, graced on him. And you're not alone. And when you come face to face with temptation, you know that sheer willpower isn't enough. You need God's presence in your life. And God gives that to us. We see this illustrated in Jeremiah 31. It's this promise that, that Old Testament folks were looking forward to that we now have in reality. It says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. You know what this means? It means that in Christ, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who changes what we want, changes our desires, that on the cross, as Jesus died, that our old desires and passions and lusts die with him. And that as he rose again from the dead, that a new life with new passions and new desires are given to us. And, and we're powered by that. It's an amazing, amazing gift. And Joseph gives hope to all of us who are filled with the spirit of God that you can refuse to give into the gaze of lust. You can do it. You're capable of everything the Holy Spirit's capable of because he is with you and that is good news. So let's, let's just talk about what this means for us as we leave here today. And I, I just recognize and that there's just a huge range of folks on this issue. Uh, and I, so I'm gonna start with the ones who are like, I don't even know why I came today. You know, this, this honestly is not an issue for me. Um, I actually am not really sure why, Ryan, you even brought it up in church. That's kind of weird. Uh, and I agree, actually, I, I agree. Um, but, but let me just encourage you with this. If you're walking in, in, just in, if you're like winning in this area, praise God. Huh, that's awesome. Um, that's what we want. We want to get to this place of maturity. But let me just encourage you, don't look down on those who are struggling. You know, maintain a humble posture before God and with your brothers and sisters who might be in dark places uh, when it comes to this issue. You don't know their story. You don't know how they've been made vulnerable by things that have been done to them. So just understand that. And maybe what God wants to do through this message is to encourage you to, to reach out to someone that you know is, is walking through this. Be available to them, you know? Pray with them, encourage them, link arms with them. Sometimes when we're in really dark places, what we need most is just to borrow hope from someone else. Let people lean on you. I just encourage you with that. So there's another group in here. Uh, you're struggling with this issue. You know, this, this kind of hits home and you probably hate that you came to church today, you know, uh, but you're here. So let me just encourage you with, with a couple things. So first of all, you're not alone. You are not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, uh, where Paul reminds us that there is 
no temptation that's not common to everybody. And by the way, Jesus faced this temptation as well. He knows where you are. You're not a freak. You're not a pervert. You're loved by God and you're not alone. 1 John 1.9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know what this means? It means that no matter where you've been, no matter what you did this morning or last night or on Tuesday, that through confession to Jesus, that, that forgiveness is absolutely possible. A, a fresh start is absolutely possible. This is great, great news. Who do I confess it to? Well, confession should be as wide as the offense. It's kind of a general rule. Confess it to God. If you're married, confess it to your spouse. Do it in a sensitive way, you know? And spouses, let me just chat with you for a second. If you're a spouse of someone uh, who has struggled with this issue, let me just encourage you with this, that your, your spouse's struggles with this, uh, that they have, that has no say on your value before God. You are loved, you are accepted, you are, you are still made to reflect God's image. Don't let your spouse's struggles consume you. Take those to Jesus. Let him train you in the way of forgiveness so that you can be free uh, as well. And finally, you know, there's, there's a group in here, you know, maybe you've experienced trauma in your past. Maybe there's a deep vulnerability that's created a season of your life, maybe in the past or maybe right now, where you are just in a very dark place. And this isn't a struggle for you. For you, this is like living death. If that's you, let me, let me just say this, you belong here. We're glad you're here. You're not gross. You are loved by God and there is hope for you. There is a community here. Uh, so if you're ready to just take a step in the right direction, uh, look in the Grow Guide, which is this little blue booklet. Uh, we have those at the welcome table. Uh, look for uh, Celebrate Recovery. It's a community that meets here every week. Folks coming from all different places in life, but united in searching for grace that sets them free in a number of areas. That might be a great first step. If you're next level and, and you don't want to maybe stick around uh, the, the church community, if you want to share something anonymously, uh, we've partnered with the Center for Christian Counseling. We have, there are licensed counselors who are ready to hold your hand and, and just, just walk in a Christ-centered approach to restoration uh, with you, okay? You still with me? How are we doing? All right. Well, we're going to, uh, in a moment, just share communion together, but let me pray and close. Uh, Father, your goodness... Uh, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your purity are here right now. And we thank you for that. Lord, uh, prepare our hearts right now to respond to you by coming to the table uh, and, and taking in your body and your blood, remembering and celebrating that you offer new life through your death and your resurrection. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.